Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Um, I invite you to turn in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. So please grab a Bible, grab your phone out, grab the Bible app, whatever works best for you. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2. It's a very common um, Christmas message, a very common Christmas story that perhaps most of us have heard before. Um, But in some ways, I never tire of hearing the message again. Because as Matt has said, it's a message of how God brought peace amidst a world that was not experiencing and many times does not experience peace today. And this morning, we're going to meet a group of of shepherds. Last week, we met a group of magi. We met a king by the name of Herod. We met uh, some other folks in the the Matthew version of the story, uh, kind of the story of the birth of Jesus taken from Matthew's point of view. Um, Luke is going to give us a different perspective. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. It's kind of two-thirds of the way through your Bible, right in the beginning of the gospel. But before we get to that... Um, Advent is a season of uh, arrival, of expectation. And on December 24, many of us have maybe even had already Christmas parties and gatherings already, but, but we celebrate something incredible this season, that God took on flesh and he made his dwelling among us. In fact, the way that John says it um, is he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And apart from him, nothing that has been made has been made, and in him was life. And that life was the light of the world. And the light shines in the darkness. The darkness doesn't understand it. A couple verses later, he says it this way, and the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. This is a story of how God stepped down from heaven into our world to take on skin and bone because he loved us. What an incredible story that we should never grow tired of hearing. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of scripture this morning from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time for her to give birth, they gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for them at the living place. In the region, shepherds staying out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be 
afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in the feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left him and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart. She was meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father and our King, how grateful we are to celebrate Christmas this weekend. And as we have celebrated Advent throughout this time, and we, we have longed for the time in which we celebrate the arrival of Jesus to this world 2,000 years ago. God, even more, our hearts long for the time in which you will return again. Because God, as the world was broken then, the world is still very broken now. But amidst the brokenness, God, you have brought peace through the cross and through the resurrection, and for that, God, we thank you and we give you um, worship. You alone are worthy of our worship. You alone are worthy of, of our devotion. And so, God, even in, even in a very simple way, we join the angels that proclaimed so many years ago on the hillsides of Bethlehem, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward those whom he favors. Thank you for your love for us this morning, God. Teach us and lead us and guide us through the work of your spirit. We need you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Together we say, amen. You may be seated. So, Luke chapter two. Let me see if I got my slides here. Luke chapter two, we're talking about how God extends his story beyond magi and beyond kings and beyond those who the culture would have called elite to a group of people called shepherds. Shepherds. Um, shepherds, uh, according to one scholar, here's the way he puts it. At the time of Jesus, shepherding was and is a despised occupation in the Middle East. It's at the other end of the social scale from people like the Magi. But it's amazing that how both came to honor the Messiah, the low and the high alike. Truly, only in a story that God could have written do you find the low and you find the high, find meaning, purpose in life, in the little baby wrapped snugly and laid in a feeding trough. Last week, we looked at how these magi, these pretty important people historically, had experienced um, God. They'd seen the star in the east. They had come to worship him. And this week, we are going to see Mary and Joseph, but we're also going to see a group of shepherds who were the despised outcast of society. And they're going to find incredible life in his name. 
Uh, but first, our story begins in Luke chapter 2 in verse... One, and we're introduced to a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. We'll talk about him in just a minute. We're also introduced to a group of people named Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph are the mother of the Messiah and the father. And of course, Jesus is, is born of a virgin. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute as well. Um, but he is, um, Joseph assumes responsibility for this baby. Um, they are engaged to be married. And in first century Jewish culture, there was two stages to a wedding. Like today we have, uh, you get engaged and then you get married. The thing that's different about Jewish culture is when you got engaged, or they called it betrothed, you were actually married at that point. So the families had come together, they had agreed, yes, we we're gonna get married. And at that point you're engaged, but you actually don't live together, you don't consummate the marriage until the father of the groom says, son, you've now made a home for your wife, go get your bride, it's time to bring her into the house. So you have a scandal that's kind of going on in the story that leads Mary and Joseph to go from a place called Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. And the reason that they have to do this is number one, they're engaged to be married. They, they, they've assumed like the angel came to Joseph and he said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child that is in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph is essentially, as a righteous person, saying, yes, I'm taking responsibility for this child. And to the person who doesn't believe the story that this child was um, a product of the Holy Spirit uh, working in Mary, um, for the person who doesn't believe that, they're saying, in the culture, mm, these people are walking out of step of what this bridal process looks like. So they find their way though, going from Nazareth, which is up here in the north, uh, just kind of to the southwest of the Galilee. You've got the Mediterranean Sea on our far left. Uh, Israel's a pretty small, thin state uh, or country. You have the Sea of Galilee up here and you have the Dead Sea down here in the south part uh, of your screen, the, the lower part of your screen, the southern part of the country. And they're going to Bethlehem. And the reason that they're going to Bethlehem, the text gives us, is that there's a decree who went out, that went out from Caesar Augustus, that the whole empire should be registered. So everything you see on this map right here is part of Caesar's empire, and it actually extends a whole lot bigger than this, because this is just the local Middle East section that includes what is modern-day Israel, what is modern-day Egypt, and what is modern-day um, uh, Jordan over here, and then it goes up into some other areas like Lebanon and Syria. Um, so Caesar, who is the chief ruler of this entire area has said, I want everyone to be registered. Now the reason you become registered, the reason Caesar would have a census is because he wants money. He wants taxes and he wants to be able to count the heads and know who owns land, who's making money, who can I extract resources from. A census back in the ancient period was not a pleasant thing. Taxation in the ancient period was not a pleasant thing. I mean, I'm not saying it's a pleasant thing now either, but, but back then it really wasn't a pleasant thing because if you refused to pay your taxes, um, you were met with violence because Caesar, who called himself Lord, who instituted what is called um, the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome, he is someone who is not to be messed with. If there was any sort of uprising, they had Roman groups throughout the region who would try to 
quell that as quickly as they could. Caesar Augustus is the ruler, the emperor at this time. He's a guy who decreed a census. He's also known for you historian buffs as Octavian. He's um, known as a bringer of peace, the military kind of peace that is. He's the sole ruler of the Roman Empire from 27 BCE to AD 14. So during this whole time in which Jesus is born, he is the main guy in charge and he makes sure all the different parts are working the way that he would like to do it. Um, He's the heir to the throne after being adopted by his uncle whose name was Julius Caesar. Some of you may know that from some of your history stuff. So he decrees a taxation not pleasant, it was a burden, puts names to faces, and there's violence to those who would not pay. Taxation, one scholar suggests, is based upon land ownership. So Joseph finds his way going from Nazareth down to Bethlehem because he owns part of the land down there, or he is somehow ancestrally tied to there, which he is ancestrally tied to there. He has to go to this region in order to say, yeah, here's my land and here's my money. So if Joseph and Mary came down on the arrow on the right side of your screen, which would avoid Samaria, which some observant Jews would do, it would be a 90-mile trip for them, give or take. And and it wasn't an easy trip. That last little bit of a climb that comes here from the north part of the Dead Sea all the way up to Jerusalem is about 16, 17 miles, and it is a burner uphill. So for them to go down to Bethlehem was a big deal. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of effort. And they find themselves there as they are getting ready to, as Mary's getting ready to give birth to Jesus. Now, it says here in the text... Um, where is it here? It says here in the text that they went up uh, from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he's of the house and family line of David. That's verse four. To be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Kind of described that a little bit. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him, him snugly in cloth. She laid him in a feeding trough. And when you think feeding trough, most of the furniture in this area that would have been used for that kind of thing is made out a stone. So think, think like a stone feeding trough. They laid him in the feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. So the word there for lodging place is not the word that sometimes is translated in. It's not like a commercial days in, holiday in, nights in, whatever you stay at. Um, what it's describing is part of a home. They, they were placed in a room in which the animals were sheltered in off of the home likely of someone who was in their family. So they come to Bethlehem, and since Joseph is from here, and since Joseph likely owns land here, he knows some of these people. When we think of Bethlehem, you gotta think a very, like we sang it this morning, a little town of Bethlehem, it was a little town. Like, this isn't a huge place. You knew everybody. So people are coming in, you're like, oh, I remember you, and I remember you, and I remember, and they come in, and there is no room for them at this lodging place, is the way mine translates it. And what it's describing is this, this room that would be connected with a home in which guests would be put up. In fact, here's a picture of an ancient cave home. And you can see here that there's a living room on the right-hand side of your screen, but, but uh, just above it is a stable. 
and everything is kind of interconnected. And typically the stable would be at the lowest part of the cave house or of the house. And the reason for this is, number one, if your uh, animals did anything like the bathroom, you didn't want it to slope towards you. <laughs> big, big idea. Uh, stay away from that. But they also wanted to be able to protect their animals. And so they wanted to keep them close by and give them shelter. They also wanted to have the heat which came from the animals. Uh, it helped keep their house warm at night. And so the animals aren't there, but they have a, um, they have a, 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 I guess you could call it a living room that either one of two things is happening. And good scholars kind of disagree on which way it's gonna go, so I'll lay them both out for you and you can decide. On the one hand, um, there could be a, a family who has taken them in and has said, you guys are kind of living a life that we're not so sure that we're kosher with. And they've placed them in, in a way to, to kind of give them something in which to stay, but they're kind of shaming them to the animal area. Um, that's one suggestion that scholars make. The second suggestion I think is most likely, I, I think that there's a lot of people coming into town and there's just no room for them in the guest chamber of the house. Whichever way you go, they find themselves there, Mary's giving birth while they're there, and they experience the incredible gift and the incredible hardship of bringing God incarnate into the world. As they bring this child into the world, um, the text says in verse eight, in the same region, so they're in a local area here that is not terribly far off, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in they were keeping watch over their flock by night. Um, likely, this took place in more of a springtime setting as opposed to a December setting. The reason many scholars suggest that is because um, during the winter, you would often keep your, your, your flocks in for the cold. Uh, it's interesting, though, um, Dr. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, He's the one who puts all these photos together in a big companion form for, uh, for pastors and for teachers and stuff like that. Uh, can't remember his name right now, but he's out at Master's Seminary. He lived in Israel for a long time, and he has photos of, of people shepherding flocks in Bethlehem in December. So there is some play with when is this, because we don't know exactly what day this is, but whatever day this is, they're shepherds, they're staying out in the fields, they're keeping watch over their flocks by night, and they're encountered by an angel who says to them, as the glory of the Lord shone before them, and they're terrified, who says to them in verse 10, don't be afraid. So we know angels are out in the fields, people are inside in the cave, and the angel appears to these shepherds, and he says, ha, I've got good news for you. But he says to them first, don't be afraid. Now, I think one of the primary reasons that he says to them, don't be afraid, is because when you experience an angelic host like that, you'd be afraid. <laughs> you'd absolutely be afraid. Um, but I think there's perhaps another reason why they're all so afraid. Here we're introduced to um, shepherds, the lowest of the low. Um, we're also introduced to people who see the glory of God and they go, hang on a second, that's the glory of the Lord, and I am not God, and I don't stand before God. I keep flocks out in the fields, and what is going on here? 
In Genesis chapter two, it's interesting to me, I, I heard someone say this recently, it's fascinating. Um, in Genesis chapter two, in chapter three, um, we are introduced to a guy by the name of Adam and Eve. I won't go through the whole story right now, but basically they sin against God. But before they sin against God, they experience intimate fellowship with God regularly. After Adam and Eve sinned against God, God comes to them and he says, Adam, where are you? And, and Adam says to the Lord, he says, we hid because we were afraid. There's two kinds of fear in the Bible. There's, there's, there's the kind of fear that is being in awe of God. Then there's the sense of fear that is, is not being in awe of God, but being afraid of God. We experience those kinds of fears today. Um, there's some of us here who think that if we do something X, Y, or Z, God is ready to go and just smack us because we have a certain concept of God in our mind. And, and let me just tell you this morning, if you're God's child, he looks at you with incredible love, incredible devotion. He wants your best. If you're not God's child, guess what? He loves you. That's the whole reason Jesus came. He stepped down not to bring fear. He stepped down to bring salvation, which leads to life in his name. So I'll lay this down. You don't have to pick this up. But I wonder if the shepherds, besides being afraid of the glory of the Lord before them, are also in fear of the Holy One who is revealing himself to them through this angelic host. Be that as it may, the angel said to them, he says, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Imagine you're a shepherd. Imagine you're one who the culture looks at and you're despised. Imagine being the one that religious people stay away from because they're afraid they're gonna become ritually unclean. Imagine being the one that Roman guards look down upon with disgust. We know what those feelings are even though we aren't shepherds. Here in says to them, I proclaim to you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. All the people. This includes the shepherds. And to make his point even further, in verse 11 he says, today a savior describing what the Messiah would do. In fact, earlier it says, you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin, earlier in Luke's gospel. So he's already kind of laid the foundation if you've read the first chapter that, that he's telling the readers, you have sin, you need salvation from this, and I've provided a savior who is Messiah, who is the Lord, who was born for you in the city of David. Twice here, you find these shepherds encountering the phrase, for you, for you. So imagine you're a shepherd. You're in the flocks. 
or you're, you're in the area of the shepherd's fields. Here's what it looks like today. Here's kind of what it looks like a little bit more close up. Here's an ancient rendering of a cave home. Imagine you're a shepherd, you're outside the city of Bethlehem. You're keeping watch over your flock by night. You're isolated, you maybe feel alone. And the angelic host says, for you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 11, this will be a sign for you. For you, he says to the shepherds. He says, you will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth in lying in the feeding trough. You almost get the sense that if you're a shepherd, you're saying, this message is for me. It is. It's for me, the shepherds say. This message that brings peace on earth and favor to those on whom his favor rests. In fact, that's what the angels sing. It says in verse 13, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host. There's a choir. I love it. I'm a music guy. There's a choir. With the angel, they're praising God and they're saying, glory to God in the highest. The story is not about the shepherds. It's about the glory of God. It's not about the sheep. It's about the glory of God. That's the first and foremost place where all worship should be given and ascribed. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven, but peace on earth to people he favors. I'm going to skip ahead a couple slides here. Peace on earth to people he favors. When we talk about this word peace, and Matt, Matt hit on this a little bit already, the, the Greek word is the word irene. Can you say irene? Irene. You don't have to remember that later, but just kind of get you a sense of, of how you say it. It refers to a state of blessing that is a favor from God. When he says peace on earth, he's saying you can experience a whole new way of living and resting in God. Peace on earth to those upon whom he favors. But think about who, who, who he's coming to here. This word for favor, it's the word eudokia. It means the condition of being kindly disposed or having goodwill. He's coming to the lowliest of the low and he's saying, peace, peace on earth. This message is for you. Peace on earth to those upon whom I favor. And if you're a shepherd, you may be thinking, they favor me? God is saying he favors me? And the answer is yes, he does. Because one status or one standing, the amount of money that someone makes, the profession that they engage in, their past is not the determinator for whom God favors. This gospel message is for all. This gospel message is for all. You may be wondering here, God, do you favor me? I'm here to say he favors you. He loves you. You are the reason why Jesus came. Because what was broken in the garden through sin, God wants to restore through his sacrifice of his life so that you can have life. Imagine you're a lowly shepherd and you hear this news. Today is born for you 
in the city of David, a Savior who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. Interesting fact about the word Savior there, it's, the first time it's used is in Luke's gospel, and it's used to describe the work of the Father, and so it's actually being ascribed now to the work of the Son, uh, the Messiah Jesus, a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. Now imagine you're a shepherd, and you're faced with this encounter. What do you do? What do you do with this? You know, besides go, that was weird. <laughs> Didn't expect that. Wasn't on my bucket list. What do you do? You could decide to go back to life as normal. You could decide to say, okay, that's weird. I'm just going to go back and like cloister my flock over here in this cave. <laughs> Maybe nothing weird is going to happen over there. Notice what happens. Notice how these shepherds respond. That says in verse 15, when the angels had left them and returned to the heavens, um, the shepherds said to one another, so this is like immediate. They said, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened. They've been told, there's a sign for you. You can confirm what I'm saying by going to Bethlehem and finding a child who's been born, who's lying in the feeding trough, a savior who is Messiah the Lord. They said, let's go straight to him, straight to Bethlehem, see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, the baby who was lying there in the off after seeing them. Notice what they do. They, they, they share this message. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Can you imagine not keeping this news to yourself? You've just experienced a heavenly choir in the dark fields of Bethlehem. You've gone and what the angel said checked out, it confirmed, which means there was a savior who was born for you this day in the city of David. A savior who was Messiah, who is the Lord. They couldn't help but share it. It just kind of bled out of them. And in the small little town of Bethlehem, I would venture to guess that there's very few people who didn't hear about this story on that night. Like, as they go on, you gotta, let me tell you. And all, all attention and energy, again, it's not about the shepherds and it's not about their story, it's about God. And as they went and they worshiped at the feet of this baby, as the Magi in Matthew's gospel go and they kneel before not, not Herod, who is the king of the local region, they kneel before this child. All the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. This is a pretty countercultural thing for God to come into the world this way. He comes into the world as a savior. Every person needs a savior. But there's only one savior. In the ancient world, um, Caesar considered himself to be a soter, to, to be a savior. Caesar considered himself to be the bringer of peace. Of course, his peace came through a sword, and it came through, you will listen, and you will obey, and that is the end of it. He considered himself to be God manifest. He had a pretty high view of himself. And in the shadow of the empire of Rome and in the shadow of the empire of Herod the Great, a little baby is born, quietly comes into the world, 
and absolutely changes human history because it's in this baby that true peace is found. It's in this baby that true peace is experienced. Peace on earth. One of the ways that the word peace is used in the New Testament, it's not only a state of blessing, which is a favor from God. In Luke chapter seven, peace is a result of faith in God. In John chapter 16, Jesus says that peace is something that is found in him despite the hardships of the world. So there can be all sorts of chaos and conflict going around. And the person who knows who Jesus is and has placed their trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, it can experience peace in the midst of the storm. Romans chapter 8 describes um, peace being the result of having the spirit's mindset on life. And in fact, that contrasts with um, where peace is not found, Paul says, is walking in one's flesh and walking in one's own striving, trying to make a way for oneself. Peace is experienced only through dependence upon Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Lord. As we come to the end of this story, there's perhaps many applications we can make. Um, Two that I'd like to make for this morning are as follows. The first one is this. Do you know that a Savior has been born for you? A Savior who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. This may be the first time that you've ever heard that that there's a God who loves you and who gave himself for you and who wants you to find and experience life in his name. And if you haven't trusted him as your savior, I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that means for you today. Because I can tell you this much, Running from God never leads to peace. (laughs) It just doesn't. There's only one way to find peace. Second way I want to apply it is is this way. Are you experiencing God's peace? Now, let me be clear. You can be a follower of Jesus and not be experiencing God's peace today. And The reason for that is because your mindset, my mindset often becomes focused on what Jeremy wants and what Jeremy thinks he needs. And instead of depending upon Christ for all I need, instead of depending on Christ for all we need, we replace God with other things. And the thing is, is that when we have our mindset on the flesh and not our mindset on the spirit, we don't experience the peace of God in our life in a practical sense. Um, one way the scriptures put it is this, uh, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts thee. Peace is a fruit of God's spirit within the life of a believer. In addition to peace being something that we experience when we come into the kingdom. When we come into the kingdom, we experience peace with God because we recognize that God doesn't see our sin the same way, 
When he looks at us, he says, I have forgiven that person's sin and they have received that forgiveness. There is peace between us. For the believer though, the constant coming back to God and saying, God, I'm not experiencing peace in this world is a reminder and and kind of a, a heads up to us that maybe we're trying to seek peace in a way that God didn't intend for us to find it. Where's your mind? Where's your heart today? God wants to give you peace. The message of Christmas is peace on earth to those upon whom his favor rests. This Christmas, I want you I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt you are worth Jesus to God. The Father sent his son because he loves you and he loves me. One of the most amazing, the most amazing gift we could ever receive in the season of gift giving is the gift of eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no other place you'll find it. And for the peace that you need in the midst of a crazy world, there's no other place you're going to find peace other than the resurrected Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we come this morning again. I come this morning, God. Again, being reminded of how much we need you. And God, how much our world needs you. It's so easy and so tempting to try to find peace through a whole bunch of different ways. God, we find peace through financial resources. We find peace through houses that work and function properly. We find peace, God, through um, relationships that that don't seem to be difficult. Um, God, there's people in our world like Caesar who want to find peace through the sword and who want to find peace through military conquest. But God, you have given us yourself that we might find in you a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So God, we come expectant and needy today. I thank you for the gift of the Messiah to the world. Thank you, God, for meeting us in our great need when we could not save ourselves. You sent your Son to be our savior. And Lord, as we celebrate Christmas this year, remind us constantly that in him was life and that life was the light of the world, that the light shines in the darkness. And Lord, may you equip us to be lights that shine in the darkness as we walk with you each day, our Prince of Peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.